0: Hello there. Hi. Hi. Welcome to From Scrubs to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and
1: women in general. Yeah. And you can find or follow us on social media. We have an Instagram and a Facebook, which is at From Scourts to Scrubs. We also have a Twitter, which is at FSTS underscore podcast. You can also check out our website for more information on our episode, show notes, sources, all of that, which is at from Scrubs com. Yep. And you can also
0: subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is a great place for that.
1: Spotify is a good place for that. Just let us know what you think. Great. And welcome back to episode 43, everyone. This episode is being released the day after Halloween. So I hope everyone had a very spooky, fantastical weekend. Uh, Alicia, did you dress up for Halloween? (laughs) I did dress up for (laughs) Halloween. I
0: was, so my friend went as Cruella DeVille. And so me and my other friend went as her two cronies, Jasper and Horace. (laughs) What? I'm going to say, like, (laughs) Dalmatian. No, we did not go for what the obvious choice would have yeah, been. Which yeah, was wow. nations. It's mostly because we didn't have time to put anything together. And <laughs> so we could literally just wear clothes that we already owned. But I will say I did buy two men's berets.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to return them, though. The tag is still on. Uh, but it was smart, pretty funny.
1: Smart, smart. Nice. Yes. Mm-hmm. I went as Violet from Willy Wonka. And then... Nice. The other night I went as Men in Black. Some of my friends. That's good. That's great. Um, yeah. So Halloween costume, like I, I love like, hearing people's costume ideas. They're endless. And it's always like something from your favorite movie or pop culture reference or children's book. Like you could go as the beast from Beating the Beast. You could go as Little Mermaid, Um, the Snow White's Dwarves or Frankenstein. But, like, these characters I mentioned that people dress up as that are in these fairy tales, like, there's a common through line of them in, like, their origin stories. And that is they're all linked to disability in some way. The Beast in Frankenstein... Oh, whoa! Oh, what a tie-in! I was like, where is she going with this? This is kind of weird. Yeah, no. It's all linked to disability. So, like, the Beast and Frankenstein are like, unlike, you know, able... Bodied people in those stories, and same, same as the dwarves who have dwarfism. And in the Little Mermaid story, in the original tale, at least, she loses her voice. And because of this acquired disability, she actually commits suicide. Um, so disability mm-hmm. is all around us. It's in our stories, it's in our culture, it's in our friends and family, and it's within our history. So today we're going to talk about disability and look at it from a feminist perspective. But before we get into it, Alicia, do you have any thoughts or anything before we get in? to the episode
0: i do know a tiny bit in one of my women's studies classes we talked about this thing called crip theory Mm -hmm. um which is essentially like a feminist approach to like disability the idea of crip theory which is super interesting is essentially like the name first of all, is supposed to be like a reclaiming of the word cripple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is that there's like certain bodies and identities that are seen as normal and like able-bodied. But right, right. the idea of crip theory is like re- reclaiming that and and like talking about how like dominant bodily identities are kind of composed and then how
1: we can and how we can dismantle them. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Well, yeah. We'll kind of talk about something just like that, not specifically crypt theory, but I'll talk about some social ideas and theories about disability. Cool. Yeah. Let's jump into it then. The American Disabilities Act defines disability as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. Disability can take shape in many different forms and it is different for every single person. For some, disability is evident to the outsider, but on the other hand, it might not be so evident and they can can appear as able passing when really there's something much deeper going on within them. So overall, disability is a huge topic people get entire PhDs in this area. So today we're definitely not covering everything. This is just a small introduction to the world of disability studies, jumping around through history to talk about some important things um, and then having a small little discussion about it. But definitely don't take this as your education on disability because as Mm -hmm. an able-bodied person, um, we're not in the right space to educate you fully on this. So with that, order to discuss disability in this episode we must discuss two models of disability first so there is the medical model and there is a social model of disability Mm. the medical model views disability as a problem within this person's body like a person's body that you're trying to fix so medicine in this theory like tries to fix people quote-unquote So it's like the idea that a disabled person would go through rehab or take medications or, you know, use prosthetics, medical devices, like things that help their body become more able-bodied, basically. And Mm -hmm. then there's the other, um, like, model of disability, which is the social model. And this is where it kind of, like, flips the script a little bit. Instead of saying, okay, this person has a disability, it's like their body that's wrong per se, it's. Saying no, it's actually society that's incorrect. Um, so like society mm. is it's talking about how society is structured and operated in a way that creates disability for certain people. So this model mm. like has gaps and holes in it, but it kind of just points out that um like it allows society to identify different biases towards dis- um, people with disabilities and try and correct like societal, norms so that they can begin to encompass like all abilities keep those theories in mind as we jump into some of the history and we can talk about it later all Right. so okay first i want to touch on a little bit of ancient history and disability honestly this was very hard to come by like, there wasn't much information that i could honestly find it's almost like a topic where there I, you would google it And there would be, like, a college class you could take on it, and that's, like, how you would acquire the information. Like, it's not Mm. that accessible, but I did find some interesting things. So, one thing is actually a Greek myth. You know, a Greek myth, Alicia has, like, a big character who fights a
0: disability. He's a
1: big, big god. Oh, Hephaestus. Yes, Hephaestus. So Hephaestus was um, born of Hera and Zeus. He was one of the Greek gods. Um, But also I learned through this that apparently Hera and Zeus didn't have sex. Hephaestus was just like born from Hera, kind of like how Athena was born from Zeus. But anyway, upon birth, it was evident that Hephaestus had some type of congenital defect and Hera who was disgusted by him threw him off of Olympus which is the home oh. of the Greek gods. I know. But because he was a god even as a baby he lived being thrown off a giant mountain. But he had a crump like a crumpled leg and like deformed feet too. So Hephaestus mm. kind of went on as being considered like this disabled god but not really in the way you would expect which is interesting. He was not the champion of like the disabled community in Greece or something. It's not like people with disabilities would worship Hephaestus. It was more that he was just that was just part of who he was and then separately he was the god of blacksmiths, like metalworking, craftsmen, volcanos, like things to do with fire basically. He just happened mm-hmm. to be disabled in turn. So that's kind of interesting to see like that dynamic within that myth. Moving from Greece to Rome, Roman culture had a little bit more to say about disability. And it wasn't always so great. Um classic. Yeah. So as in society today, different disabilities like are perceived in different ways by the communities you live in. In ancient Rome, blindness was seen sometimes seen as a gift from the gods because they thought like, oh, if you're blind, then you have this gift of prophecy or foresight that you have been given but at the same time they also saw disability as like moral punishment from the gods and people with disabilities like weren't allowed to be priests or like take part in religious practice because they were thought to be punished
0: Mm. um they also
1: would consider military injuries honorable which um, relates today a lot but then like on this other hand the emperor augustus would like would enslave disabled persons and use them as entertainment. And then he even went as far as to have separate slave markets in Rome called monster markets. Oh, Um, no. Yeah, specifically for disabled people. And after a while, these markets became extremely popular to the point that slave owners would purposely hurt and disfigure their slaves to make them disabled because then they would make more money on them in these markets. so that's terrible. <laughs> no bad. other way to say it. Yeah, that's, that's awful. Awful. That's um, bad. The Romans also had a very low threshold for, like, even children with disabilities. It was per- put in Roman law that disabled children should be put to death by stoning, or exposed. What the heck, man? Yep. Or exposed oh. on hillside. Also, obviously, like R- Rome in medical history to begin with. Time of great disease, great disease. Rome was like the one of the first cities to have like over a million people in it in history. Diseases ran rampant. What comes with diseases that run rampant? A lot of congenital defects with people. Yeah. Um, so a lot of children to be stoned to death, um, just for something they were born with. They also could be left on hillside, which was actually a, a practice in Sparta in Greece as well, where they would bind the baby's arms and legs and then leave them out in the wild to die yes so there are truly terrible parts of roman culture that have to do with disability but like at the same time there were actual disability rights within roman culture which very contradictory so confusing (laughs) so there is this one law that required deaf individuals to have an advocate to represent them in court Hmm. which is interesting Um, And I guess this was because, like, Roman speech and debate and communication was a really big part of their society. So it, like, meant a lot to give them this opportunity in court to represent themselves. But also at the same time, this didn't mean, like, the deaf community was given accommodations in all of society. Because another big thing in Rome was that when you had transactions... Monetary transactions between people in the in markets and such, you had to give a verbal confirmation of payment. So if you were deaf oh. and you weren't able to hear someone give a verbal confirmation of payment, then you could not take part in trade. Have disability rights in law, but also are like completely disregarding other parts of society. How did deaf people communicate? Like no
0: signing. I mean, mm. There
1: had to be some form of signing. You know, Must be yeah. But that'd be an interesting um to look at the history of sign language too i don't know when it started there's also an interesting story from um herodotus's histories it's like an ancient book of stories basically where it talks about a woman named labda where she was born lame per se so she was born lame she was born with a disability um but in the story she was married to a man from another village and has children and honestly, like the story itself is not that interesting, but the role, the fact that Lab- Labda was a disabled woman in this Roman society in the story and she still, she married and had children, just like women who are able-bodied is very interesting that this was like still, that she was still able to participate in, dis- in society as um, other able-bodied women were. Hmm. Little tidbits from ancient history. There. So now we're going to jump forward a little bit and we're going to pour it into the Middle Ages around like a thousand AD, where disability was very common in communities. It was once again like a time of great disease and also like backbreaking labor. And it was just a, com- it was very common for children to have these congenital defects or for people to acquire like disabling diseases or injuries. Also, mm-hmm. as we know, the Middle Ages was a time of, like, Christianity in, West, in the Western world. It was, like, the huge part of, like, what ruled and ran society in the Middle Ages. But part of the Christian church is charity and caring for the sick and the ill. So it was actually, like, a lot of caring for the disabled communities at this time. Like, building homes for people to live in. If people were not taken care of by their families, then the church would take on the responsibility of these people. But once again, there's always conflicting ideas. Like the church is like, okay, we need to help the disabled community where you know wherever they need it. But at the same time, they're confused why people are disabled. They mm-hmm. are like, okay, is it due to sin or is it like something else entirely? They thought maybe disabled people's were actually closer to God potentially because they're oh. like, oh, their time on Earth is actually purgatory. So when they die, they actually can go straight to heaven instead of having to go to a purgatory first. Like, oh, so they kind of okay. like or okay. like these people. They viewed these people with disabilities as having like a worse life. And that made them be in purgatory, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So there's they weren't really starts going on. But there's also this one disease in medieval culture that had like profound impact, honestly, moving forward. Do you think of like a disease in history that left people um, with disabilities that could have affected society?
0: Leprosy? No. Yes.
1: Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh man, it's not. (laughs) Yes, it is leprosy. So leprosy emerged in Europe in like 300s AD originally, like just sparsely. And then over the next... 700 or a thousand years it like grew and increased in prevalence and became a common illness mm. so individuals with this disease would often you know there was no cure for leprosy then they had no medicines to take so it often would progress to like a fatal stage where or not even not a fatal stage it would just progress to this point where people would lose limbs they'd experience blindness they would have like ulcers and lesions across mm. the body And this caused people to be shunned by society. People were like forced to leave their homes and leave their towns and live in these in places called leper houses on the edges of towns where they would live like a completely separate life. People were really like scared of the disease and scared of the deformities that it caused, and so the people were pushed away. And honestly, in cultures across the world, there was like a similar reaction to leprosy. Um, so people would not, you know, obviously have the same physiological effects of the disease, but different cultures still felt the same way. So like ancient Persian cultures and Hebrew cultures considered skin diseases as making people unfit or unclean for like proper society. Indian texts would forbade marriage within these com- like from these communities to people who didn't have mm. leprosy. And then in the Middle Ages, entire colonies would form like around individuals with leprosy which is kind of interesting and like the more you read about it there's um like sometimes the colonies were really bad and the homes would be like un- unkept but at the same time sometimes these communities like were actual living communities that were their own societies where people like just operated on their own just completely separate than the town right next to them but like no one would go in them because they didn't have leprosy oh interesting you know what that means. so like sometimes they would have so many people move into these communities that they would literally like just create their own functioning town um mm. and they would just be separate than everyone else but still have you know like jobs and things like that it was kind of interesting wow. they created their own societies yeah yeah so in the centuries moving forward disability was obviously still a large part of society so the next like big thing has to do with like circuses basically and like oh yeah people being shown off so kind of like the greatest showman like the greatest showman yes who pt barnum not a great person like the greatest showman like just makes it look all nice yeah he was like awful to the people in his circus and really bad but yes the greatest showman is like literally a circus showing people who are like extremely large or extremely small things like that that they're not like considered normal bodies basically and this can be seen in history as well, like farther back history than Greatest Showman time. King Henry VIII, his court in England in 1600s, would employ fools as part of his court. Yeah. So these were people who were, they called them natural fools, which basically just meant that these people had learning disabilities. And what's interesting, I was, I was reading about a couple of these fools that lived in King Henry's court. and. They actually were treated, at least according to this source, who knows if it's true, were treated with respect and paid for their services. They got to live within the courts, were given money for them and their families. And it just but it came at the expense of the king and his court laughing at them simply for their disability. Like they wouldn't actually do anything. They would just oh, be themselves, they just they would speak to the king. They would just exist and people would laugh at them. So sad. I hate that. I know. Oh, it's crazy! Is they could say anything they wanted to the king, but he would just like laugh at it instead of taking it seriously. Oh. You know, compared to, like other people like would be murdered for like what they'd say to the king. So interesting. And then this like f- the fools of this court really ties into like the freak shows, which were what circuses were called when they were paraded around the world mm. in the Victorian era and into the 1900s. So these freak shows, quote unquote often contain disabled individuals such as like conjoined twins people with microcephaly which means you have a very small head giantism so very very large people the bearded lady which are women who have like high levels of testosterone um and one particularly famous man was john merrick have you heard of this guy alicia you might know his name he is also known as the elephant man there's like a whole play about maybe
0: i yeah that sounds familiar
1: yeah. So he had this like bone deformity that no, like they're not exactly sure what it was still. And he worked in freak shows for a long time before he um, eventually like kept getting ripped off by them and treated terribly. So he left and he ended up living like in a um, hospital for disabled peoples in London. And he kind of like lived out his life there. But he is a very famous um, person who was in these freak shows. And you can look him up. And there's like movies about him and plays and things Mm. like that. But these like freak shows were also happening at a time where disabled people were often hidden away. Like people put in asylums. People just kind of like pushed away from society. So then these basically traveling circuses kind of gave disabled people this unique space where they could hold jobs and make a living and like actually advocate for themselves in the world but also not at the same time Like, like the rest of the history is very contradictory because you could do that but then you could also be placed literally behind bars in these circus shows these shows would sometimes literally like kidnap people and then depend on things like racism and sexism to fuel audience interests in the shows there would even be um, terrible things where it'd be like ethnic shows that would specifically exploit people mm. of color, deeming them disabled solely because of their race. Mm. So, yeah, pretty terrible. That's, yeah, no, and, that's awful. Yeah, but that's a huge part of, you know, how to see people were treated in history. And then moving into the 20th century, there was like a, a huge shift in societal views of people with disabilities. And can you think why? What was going on in the 20th century? Oh, like reform. Yes, yes, for sure. What else going on in the 20th century? In the 1900s. I mean, it's a big century. Like, a lot of stuff happened. I it is a big century. What are, like, two really big things that are, like, the same World thing but wars. happened twice? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the World wars like, really changed how people would view disability because after world war 1, you know like the world wars were wars that obviously no one wants to fight in a war, but people were fighting for something that was very like humanitarian focus and things like that. And so, people returned and they were viewed as heroes. And but I mean these were huge, these were world wars, terrible things were happening, terrible advancements in like um military whatever. And people would come home with Mm -hmm. all of these injuries, and they would all of these war heroes would now come home disabled, and this actually shifted the view of society when it came to people who were like specifically physically disabled. And as we talked about, like in the Civil War episode, war brings out advancements in society, so this kind of all of a sudden led to this big push in plastic surgery and in like the use of prosthetics and the business of prosthetics. There was a big push to make to have like employers employ people with disabilities mm. before they would never employ them. There also became this emergence all of a sudden of education for children with disabilities. Schools began to be created um, like in the 40s where there were schools for the blind, there was schools for the deaf, there were schools for the cr- crippled, is what they called them. There were schools for children with mm. epilepsy and like schools where... Um, like kids didn't go to school before that and now they had the chance to um in these schools talk a little bit about them one they would re- pretty much only train kids for like low skilled work they weren't really teaching these children to go into these like high positions of society also within europe they would they were called sunshine schools because scientists at the time believed that like being outside was particularly healthy for disabled children so they would teach lessons outside. They would take naps outside. They mm. would feed them very healthy meals. But like the downside of this is that they would still teach outside and take oh, naps outside what? in the winter. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And they would oh. just, like wrap all the kids in blankets, which like doesn't oh, really it. do much. I know. So like these schools weren't all butterflies and rainbows, like excited to have a school thing because sometimes they were terrible. They would cut children off hmm. from their parents. They'd cut them off from the outside world. They would like monitor communication oh. between families. So if you're trying to like send letters home, they would read them. Sometimes they would have um, really harsh punishments in the schools. So they would place deaf and blind children in rooms together so that they could not <gasps> communicate. So like even though they were with other children, oh they were god. completely isolated. Because they would be like deaf That's and blind children so you know, Oh home. my god. And then also in some of the deaf schools, sign language wasn't even allowed, so they would force students to learn how to lip read, mm. and they weren't allowed to sign, that which is awful. awful. And another large thing in the Victorian era, like I mentioned briefly, was asylums, but we're actually not going to talk about asylums here because I think it like warrants a larger episode and can, can tie to a lot of other things um, around medicine, so we're just going to... M- Leave that to another episode, but know that asylums were also a large part and all, often housed a lot of disabled people. Okay, so now we're going to jump over, like more specifically, to the United States. Before a lot of that history was in Europe, and the United States is a baby country True. compared to the rest of the world. So now we're finally in the United States, looking at legislation specifically mm-hmm. about disability. So earlier in in the 1900s, around the World War, is there was a lot of advocacy around. Disability popping up everywhere. So in the 30s, there was the League of the Physically Handicapped, which advocated for work oh. during the Great Depression. In yeah, yeah, this stuff is great. No more, no okay, more super thanks. sad stuff <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, in the 40s, there was an organization called We Are Not Alone, who advocated for mental health patients. We're transitioning from life in mm-hmm. the hospital to life in communities. Like a so rehab like a,
0: support group,
1: kind yeah, of. I thought the program's cool. Yeah. In the 50s, there was an organization called NARC, but it was, it means National Association for uh, Retarded Children. And yeah. now obviously we we do not use the word retarded yeah. anymore, but that was the name of the organization in the 50s. And these, this this mm-hmm. was an organization of parents, actually, like parents of children with mental disabilities who advocated for alternative care and education for their children. And then there also started to be a lot of national laws in the United States to to protect people with disabilities. So in 1975, the Education of All Handicapped Children Act was was established to make sure that all disabled children had the right to Mm. public school attendance. And then in 1990, the American the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. And in 2008, the American with Disabilities Amendment was passed. And more like to show how important the American Disabilities Act is, the ADA prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities and employment, transportation, public accommodations, communications, and access to government nice. services. So that's huge because people with disabilities really rely on especially things like transportation is Huge, huge, huge. And that was actually a big fight um, when they were creating, when they were passing that law, actually, because transportation services didn't want to accommodate people with disabilities. Yeah. But what about today? Let's talk about disability more specifically, like in today, in the last five years. So according to the CDC in the United States, 61 million adults in the U.S. have a disability, which is a little more than one-fourth of the population the largest percentage of people with disabilities actually lives in the mm. southern United States. And then to break it down to what types of disabilities this like overall statistic encompasses. So about 13.5% of people have some type of mobility focused yeah. disability. 10 of a little over 10% is a cognitive disability. A little under seven um, is a disability that affects mm. independent living. Six percent are deaf um, individuals or people with hearing loss. of people who experience blindness and 3.7% of people struggle with self-care. And then to break it down even more into different like types of people Um, over or two fifths of people with disability are Mm -hmm. over the age of 65. So they're um, like the elderly population. A fourth of women have a Mm -hmm. disability and two fifths of people with disabilities are non-Hispanic American Indian and Alaskan natives. And then on top of all of this, out of all of these people, one third of people with disabilities don't have a healthcare provider. And another third cannot mm. afford one to begin with. And now when you look at even further statistics have to do with disabilities and employment, the general population, about 65%, this is in 2018. A lot of things have happened in 2018, so I'm not sure exactly how accurate it is now. In 2018, 65% of the general population was employed. And at that time, only 19% of Americans with disabilities were employed. So it's like huge unemployment within this disability community. And then there's also large gaps in like the care that people receive um, when they have disability. So there's a study done by the Harvard like, School of Public Health that showed that almost two-thirds of people with a serious illness, so like not a disability, just serious illness also have mm. a long-term disability. So it's a lot of like core mor- morbidities between disability and serious illnesses. Can you think of like maybe what some of them would be, Alicia? Like diabetes, heart disease. hmm Yep, that's two of them. There's two more. Obesity? Yep, that's okay. There's one more. Smoking? <laughs> yes, you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so <laughs> proud of myself.
1: Uh, that was a really impressive. You. I'm really thank right you. Now. Thank you. I'm here yeah. all year. Twenty-six percent of adults without a disability are obese. Thirty-eight percent of people with a disability are obese. So it's twelve percent more. Thirteen percent of adults without a disability smoke cigarettes. 28% of adults with disability smoke cigarettes. Twice the amount. 3.8% of adults have heart disease. 11.5% of adults mm. with disability have heart disease. A huge jump. And then 7.2% of adults with, without disability have diabetes. And then 16.3% of adults with a disability have diabetes. So in all four categories... It is a huge percentage of dump of adults with or without disabilities. So the comorbidities are ginormous. And then even more specifically, women and girls with disabilities, like talk more specifically about women and girls, women and girls with disabilities often have lower economic and social status. There's an increased yeah. risk of violence, including sexual violence. There's more gender-based discrimination. There's more limited access to education and healthcare. more specifically, even Sexual and reproductive health. um like we talked about in our last episode of sex ed, really not that great in the United States, and oh, that it's yeah. even worse for women and girls with disabilities. Or people just assume yeah. that people with disabilities aren't interested in having sexual relationships, yeah. which isn't true. um So they get almost no education, and the list goes on. So to give more specific statistics, women with disabilities are three times more likely than men with disabilities to be illiterate. Um, Women with disabilities are two times more likely to be employed than men with disabilities. They are three times more likely to have unmet healthcare needs, and they are two to three times more likely to experience violence than women who do not have who do not have disabilities. So, very disproportionately affected, um, by society, basically. So, it's important, like. As I give you the statistics to think about disability from a feminist perspective, like recognizing through the feminist theories that disability is a system that stigmatizes like human differences. It's a social category. Like a lot of ways that people with disabilities operate the world is made so much more difficult and like makes their disability heightened yeah. just by the way society functions. And there's also like a huge power dynamic within society between those who are disabled and those who are able, um, and those are just some ways that feminist theory has like looked at disability. So overall, the history of disability is very complex and honestly painful to learn and read about. It is it encompasses many it encompasses many generations and it which always seem to be battling this idea of like this medical versus social idea of disability like they're like is disability something that needs to be fixed or is it something that especially needs to be cared for through the church or like you know through these leprosy homes they tried to make or does society impose ideas and structures about disability through separating schools for children or placing Mm -hmm. people in cages like truly i think based on this history society like doesn't really know what's going on they don't know how to think about disability they feel like almost uncomfortable by it it seems like like, the Roman society literally treated people terribly, murdered children, and sold disabled peoples, but at the same time worshipped a god that was very evidently disabled. It, none of it makes sense. And then today, even, there are laws in place to protect and provide resources for disabled populations. But like, as a future healthcare provider, the only time I have personally learned about disability awareness is through my own experiences and my own self-education, Like even from college to now. So at that, to, right before we jump into the discussion, I want to leave some interesting resources about disability to point people towards if they're interested in starting to try to like learn more about disability. One is this book that I read in a book club in med school called Disability Visibility. It's by Alice Wong. It is amazing. It's a collection of first per, of first person stories from individuals with disabilities. So they're like just chapters by different people. It is literally one of the best books I have probably ever read. It has really changed the way I see the world. And I think everyone should read it, especially if you're in healthcare, you need to read this book. And I discovered while writing this episode that they also have a Mm. podcast that you can listen to people's stories. And the stories are very like, um, about like everyday life. Like there's one literally about like, like sexuality and how like this girl was never taught about sexuality there's one of a deaf individual mm-hmm. in court, which is interesting to read about the Roman theory because there is a story of a man who was had to, in court because he was in prison for something or another. And during his time where he was supposed to advocate for himself, he oh, had his no. hands locked behind his back, even though he was deaf. So he couldn't, he couldn't sign for himself and advocate for himself. So there's just so many stories that apply to so many different parts of life and different people's religions. And it's, it's really great books. I highly recommend it. And then a couple just like interesting things specifically tied to a couple of things in this podcast we talked about. So there's the podcast called Spirits. It's a really fun podcast. They drink spirits and talk about spirits. But episode 185 is called Disabilities in Fairy Tales with Amanda Duloc. So I mentioned fairy tales like a little bit in the introduction, but didn't really talk about it more. So I recommend like checking out that episode where they talk about disability in fairy tales more because it's really interesting. And then also, stuff you should know is it like one of the most popular podcasts ever. And they have an episode that um, is called What Were Human Zoos? Yeah. And this talks about the freak shows and about circuses and people with disabilities and how they were treated then. So, those are just a couple of things that like I've come across in the last year, but I definitely recommend checking out um, more disability awareness things on your own. But with that, that's the end of my story. I'm Yay! ready to talk about that some was great. things.
0: Let's talk
1: All right, Elisa, tell me your thoughts on this episode. This is a good episode. This was very interesting.
0: Um oh, I think some of my initial thoughts are. Just about, I think something that kind of struck me about this episode in general that I was thinking about is the range of disability. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that, you know, in the past, like ancient times and whatever, we talk a lot about like physical disability. But then I know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming that the statistics you read me about like proportions and percentages of people with disability are probably people who get disability money like from the government, mm-hmm. assuming that's yeah, like probably like how they calculated that, because it's really hard to figure that out unless right. you have this database of people who are getting disability. And there's so many things that qualify people to get disability. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the you know classic quote unquote classic things that we think about like blindness, deafness, learning disabilities, etc. Um, yeah,
1: for sure. It's like a
0: lot more broad and there's like mental health components of that that can like get people disability um, or to be on disability. And I know, I mean, I've seen so many patients come into clinic and they're mm-hmm. like, hey, doc, I like need you to fill out my disability paperwork. I like haven't been able to go to work for X, Y, Z amount of time because like I remember I had a patient who came in who had been seen at an outside hospital. This was while I was on colorectal surgery. <laughs> And he mm-hmm. had been seen at an outside hospital for like an emergency, like bowel perf or something. Like his bowel perforated; Oof. he had to get emergency surgery. They did a bad job. So then now he like has you know a, a colostomy bag. He has like this whole yeah. thing, and it's still not completely resolved. Like I don't or I don't remember the details of it, but he essentially mm-hmm. like needed to be on disability because he couldn't work. Because right. he couldn't function even with his colostomy bag, which a lot of people wow. could, but he just like didn't have that because it was such a poor job and there was like no way to reverse it or like yeah. no way to even make it better. And so his job, he had to quit it. And it was just this whole thing. And I remember he came in being like, Dr. So-and-so is the only person who's ever been able to really help me. I'm actually just here to get my disability paperwork filled out. Um mm-hmm. And so I couldn't do any of that, obviously, but I like took his paperwork and I took it back to the doctor. Yeah. So that was just something wow. I was thinking about.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like, the, you're right, the range of disability is so much larger than really you can, then you realize until you start reading about it and like learning about it. Like incontinence.
0: incontinence yeah. Incontinence is like a
1: huge disability. And so I like saw a presentation the other day on incontinence. That it's almost like a third of women who have children have incontinence. Oh, I believe like, it. Yes, it is so, so bad. <sighs> and if your incontinence is really bad, then you literally like can't leave your house sometimes because oh, yeah. it's so like. And it, incontinence, in case like listeners don't know, is like specifically about like urinary incontinence. It's basically, when you like can't control your bladder, and there's different types of incontinence, and we should have an episode on it because interesting. But oh, people so will urinate on themselves basically. And it's hard to go in public when you smell like urine and you're like, you can't control that type of stuff. And it's um, very pressing disability that many women have and isn't really talked about all the time.
0: No, we do not give enough justice to incontinence and urogynecological issues. I feel so passionately about this, like so
1: passionately. Um, I do want to talk about like, if there's any examples, Alicia, you can think of how society can change. I guess talked about how society is built in a way right now that kind of makes People with disabilities have lives harder than they should be. And what are ways like society can be less able body focused, I guess?
0: Yeah, I think the first thing that came to my mind was just life before the ADA and then life after and how there were literally things that just didn't exist before. Like wheelchair ramps did not exist at public buildings. Mm-hmm. And that is just crazy. Like there is no way for a person who is in a wheelchair to be able to get into a building without a ramp. Um, Yeah. And I still think there is like work to be done with that. Like I know that most or all businesses like need to comply with the ADA, but I think Mm -hmm. in reality, that's not necessarily true. Um, Yeah, for sure. And then I think obviously like maybe this is like a cop-out answer, but I feel like awareness is like huge and thinking about our language and the language that we use. And I know it's changing a lot. And, We're not perfect about it at all, but like, yeah, hearing stories and being more aware and like using language that is appropriate and like affirming Mm -hmm. is like just baseline things that we can do. But that's all societal change. That's all like cultural change
1: that I feel like we go
0: through waves. And this is just how movements work is like we go through waves of like being very aware and then being not aware and like we cycle through things that are
1: important Even with like the wheelchair thing, something I was reading is there was like a quote from someone that was talking about how like, you know, someone who depends on a wheelchair, their wheelchair is their legs. It is their form of transportation. But through Medicare, you can only get a new wheelchair every five years. So even if your wheelchair breaks, you still cannot get one for until that five-year limit is up. So people will literally like duct tape their wheelchairs, like mm-hmm. try to keep them together. And it's like, obviously, you could buy one on your own. But if you can't afford one, what else are you going to do? You just have to wait until, you know, the government can give you one. And it's yeah. like frustrating in that way, because like the quote said, like the wheelchair is that person's legs. Yet for the government, it's more of just like a more it's more like straightforward to the government of like you have five years and you need a wheelchair because that's how long they should last. But it's different for everyone. And, you know, it's like viewing more disability as just like formula instead of actually like this lived experience people have. Totally. So I think that's like one way that like needs to be changed of how we think about disability. And then another example of like how society can change is um, I really think like playgrounds that have that are like accommodating to children with disabilities are really important. And like a lot of more affluent communities are starting to like create playgrounds that are more accommodating children disabilities for example like a lot of playgrounds are lifted up like a foot or two from the ground and kind of like raised on a bed but if you're a child in a wheelchair or a child with like a, like some type of disability they can't get up there like that already is a barrier to go to the playground which is already as a child making you feel like an outsider in the world and like you're not you know you don't belong to the other children. And um, that's something that I'm, like, really interested in seeing communities as, like, more playgrounds and accommodate to these children, basically. Yeah. Um, just, like, wheelchair ramps, even. Because if we you have a wheelchair ramp, like, for a building, not only people with wheelchairs use the ramp. You know, like, pregnant women can use the ramp because it's easier to walk up than stairs. Or, like, when you're moving, you can use it because it's easier to walk up than stairs. Like, changing things in society for people with disabilities just make society as a whole like more interconnected and like inclusive more able yeah. to do things yeah you know yeah um, i agree something that then- actually
0: made me think about this thought that i had written down um but like my m1 year of med school we used to have a lot of patient presentations and we had a patient presentation with um this like very sweet girl who had down syndrome and her mom was this like mm-hmm. amazing advocate for her and like got her really involved in school and like she went to public school. She was on the swim team, like all this stuff. Um, And it was so wonderful to see that for her. Like I was so happy that she had all these opportunities, mm-hmm. but one, her mom had to advocate really hard to make them possible. Mm-hmm. And two, they were a white family growing up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And something yeah. I think about is like, That's not at all the reality of like so many people who are in lower SES and like Mm -hmm. are of who are people of color and just like all the things that you all the demographics you were talking about that overlap so much with disability is like are not the people that are necessarily getting all of this like they don't have the ability or access to the space to advocate for themselves.
1: Yeah. And that's like a
0: whole nother intersectional issue around disability I
1: agree um and then like I guess as a future healthcare provider like what do you think is important to take away from like everything we've talked about today
0: I think the biggest thing is like knowing or having some kind of training or like at least some kind of awareness like even if that means you have to look into it yourself of what Mm -hmm. how can you be a physician for people of all abilities in whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're going into. So like for us, probably it's like ob yeah. And like I think it's on us to be aware and like cognizant of the kind of providers that we want to be in terms of like being trauma informed, but then like intersecting mm-hmm. that with disability. And yeah. something that I was thinking about um that came up during my family medicine rotation actually was like the resonance, and people were having a call. It was like grand rounds or something. And it was a person yeah. who had um, some sort of disability. I cannot remember what she had, but I remember mm-hmm. she just told this very powerful story about how she needed to get this surgery. And she was like being put under anesthesia and she could like hear the doctors talking about her body and how it was, like, they didn't call her crippled, but they were talking about the ways that it was, like, quote, unquote, not normal. Or they, mm-hmm. like, dissuaded her from trying to get the surgery, et cetera. And she just remembered feeling so small. And I think that's why I was thinking a lot about language and, like, being very aware mm-hmm. of what we're saying. Um, not hyper aware that we don't treat them as people. Because I think some people do go that direction. And they're, like, thinking so Much about exactly the right words to say that they lose their humanity. But it's trying to find that balance and recognizing that they will be understanding as well to a degree if they know that you are also trying to like humanize them and treat them equally, but being cognizant of the abilities that they're coming in with and what they need.
1: Yeah, I
0: agree.
1: And I'll add on to, I think, a lot of. uh, Like what you mentioned about the um the child who had all these resources in Ann Arbor, like resources and education is huge and can help um like disabled communities a lot. And it can be a really good bridge in healthcare to help like patients get the healthcare they need, even if like maybe your you as a provider or your office or whatever like can't provide it. You can recommend other places who like have more specific um like abilities to care for people. And a huge part of this is Working closely with social work. And I mm. don't think that, um, at like medical schools do enough education on social work and really understanding like what social workers do and how their processes go and like what you can refer people to social work for. And, um, there's like just a lot of disconnect. And I've worked with social work a lot, especially in my internal medicine rotation to get people in like certain rehab homes and things yeah. like that. And it's just like a big process takes a really long time and it's very complicated. But um, it's like, they're good
0: at their jobs though. Yeah. They know it's, what to do. But it's
1: really amazing for patients to like yeah. be able to be in homes like that and to have those resources. And a lot of it is like all thanks to social workers. So I think just healthcare in general needs to be like better at being, um, like a more collaborative team and then working closely with social workers outside the hospital, like in your own offices and figuring out like what programs and things you can do for your patients to make their care more complete. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. And with that, if you enjoyed our episode, if you want to hear more episodes where we talk about things related to disability and other things that have to do with women and the medical field, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on whatever you're listening to it on now or any other podcasting app. And then you can also leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is the best place for both of those. And you can also leave ratings on Spotify
0: and you can follow us on social media we're on twitter instagram facebook and you can check out our website for more information show notes sources merch and more and that's from skirts and lastly here is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today and may we do the same for those who come after us
1: yeah see everyone next week for our last episode of season three yay bye bye everyone